At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Great is his faithfulness to us indeed. Especially relevant right now, I think, when we look around us in culture and things are happening that we don't agree with as Christians, great is his faithfulness. When there are sins out there that are being normalized in our community, great is his faithfulness. As a nation, Right now, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, we're a nation that's hurting right now as we remember all the lives that were lost. Great is his faithfulness. Even through that, I'd like to take a moment as a church family to pray for that, as for our nation at this moment. And as we even consider in Afghanistan right now, there's people hiding behind a wall of persecution that are hiding because of their faith. Great is his faithfulness. Even through that. I'd like to read something before we go to prayer, because it's a tough time right now, even in our nation, to be a leader. Would you agree with that? It'd be a tough time to be a leader in our nation right now. We're very polarized as a people. We either love the leaders or we're the opposite. And I'd like to encourage us, rather than going to our keyboards with smoke coming out of our nostrils and blasting them when we don't agree with them, that we would lift them in prayer. As Christians, that's what we're called to. And in this very same letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, that we're studying chapter 5 this morning, a few pages or further down the scroll, however it came to the church in Rome, Paul wrote this in the very same letter. He said, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities. It's a little bit difficult for us to hear right now. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist are established by God, which is even a greater call for us to stop what we're doing and pray for those who are in control right now. So would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you, humbled by your mercy. We come before you in worship, and we pray it was a sweet sound in your ears. And God, we come before you on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our leaders. Father, as we mourn and remember what happened 20 years ago, we pray that the nation would continue to heal, and through that healing that you would be lifted high, Father. We think of brothers and sisters on the other side of this world who are very much persecuted right now, and their faith is causing their lives to be in jeopardy. We pray for them. We pray for boldness and fire in your gospel that would continue to win hearts, even in that great persecution, Lord. And we pray for our leaders. Regardless of our personal feelings, of our political leanings, Father, we pray for them. We know that you put them there. Any authority they have is because you installed them in that position, Father God. So we pray that they would act within your will. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So speaking of leaders, who is your representative? Anybody know? It's kind of a broad question. How about on the local level? Do you know who represents you on the local level? Some of you may. Some are involved in local government. So you might say, yeah, I know exactly who that is. I don't. 
How about at the state level? Outside of the governor, do you know who represents you on a state level? Mm, maybe. On the national level, outside of the president, could you know who represents you congressionally? Do you know who's over your district? I used to. Sad to say, I really don't right now. But I can tell you one thing, when they're doing something that I don't like, I immediately know their name. As a representative republic, we have people, as we just said, installed by God that act as our representatives from the local to the state, from the state to the national, from the national to the world. They represent us. But this question of representation has a spiritual dynamic to it as well as we're going to see here this morning. Just like we're represented legally in our nation, we're also represented spiritually by one of two individuals. And this morning, Paul is going to ask a question, and we're going to ask it over and over and over as we go through this. Who represents you? We're continuing this series in Romans, chapter 5 this morning. This series called Newish. As Paul continues to show us how salvation in Christ alone makes us new people. Not newish, not new around the edges, but wholly new creations in Christ. And as we dive into the text this morning, what we're going to see is not a command that we have to conform to, but we're going to see the gospel front and center. We're going to see a very rich theology about how we are saved and made right before a holy God. And Paul makes a very big and astounding point in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 that we're going to study this morning. And it's the big idea that we're going to concentrate on, that our lives are ruled by one act from one man. Our lives are ruled by one act from one man. Every human's life is. Who that representative is is what determines the eternal destiny of everyone who belongs to them. And the Holy Spirit, through the text this morning, is going to show us two distinct, totally different men. He's going to pose a very important question through those two men, and that's the question that's going to come up time and time again. Who represents you? So let's take a look at the first of those two men this morning. We're going to go to Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read 12 through 14. And can I invite you, if you don't have a paper Bible and you want one, as you come through the doors, there's a table back there. We'd love for you to grab one and be able to take that home with you as our gift. You can use your tablets. You can use the screen. The text is there. But if you want a paper Bible in your hands and you don't have one, grab one the next time you come through. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. Now, Pastor Dan last week taught us how we're reconciled to God by the death of his son. There's been a complete change in our lives. That's the theme of this message, that we're not newish. There has been a complete change that was demonstrated to us in Jesus on the cross. And some might ask the question, how can one act by one man cancel the sins and save so many? Paul's going to start to explain that to us by showing us the acts of a completely different man. 
here this morning. He begins by making the case in verse 12 that, you can read it right there, sin came into the world through one man. And when he says this, he's referring to Genesis chapter 3. You probably know the story of Genesis chapter 3, the original sin in the garden and the forbidden fruit, but this is about so much more than a bite of forbidden fruit. What it is, is man saying, I know better than you, creator, holy God, what's good for me. It's direct rebellion. It's high treason before a holy God. And from that rebellion, sin was introduced into this world. Something that didn't exist because of that rebellion, sin came on the scene and it spread through the world like a virus. We're all experts on viruses now, I think. For the past 18 months, everybody is an expert on virology, aren't we? But that's exactly how this virus of sin came in. It was unstoppable and it made its way through humanity generation by generation. But with sin in the world now, Something even worse came in. That's death. God instructed Adam that if he ate of that fruit, he said in Genesis 3, he will surely die. That means a spiritual death and a physical death. And that account in Genesis chapter 3 reveals that upon sinning, Adam died. That means his biological clock began to tick. His human body would die and at the same time, it means that he was immediately separated from God. So let's look a little closer at verse 12. We're going to see a chain reaction that takes place here in verse 12. It's a three-stage negative chain reaction. Number one is sin enters the world through the rebellion of Adam. Now sin is on the scene. And then almost like sin came in and stuck its foot in the door to let death in. Death entered the world through sin. And then death spread to the whole world because all have sinned. So verse 12 tells us. But that latter part of verse 12, if we look at it, it says all have sinned. It's not saying that we've sinned like Adam and that we've done bad things and transgressed against God, which we have. But that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that we are dead in sin because we are in Adam. Our spiritual lineage is tied to Adam. And because of that, Death that came into the world reigns in us. And all that sin that we do is all lumped together. Different types of sin like murder and pride and greed and lust, they don't cause different consequences to come. Death still reigns in us. And Paul drives this death-reigning thought home by illustrating in verses 13 and 14 that sin was in the world before the law came. And the evidence of that, of sin's rampant spread, was the fact that everybody died. It says even though sin was not counted where there is no law, the result was still death. So you can do a good litmus test on this verse. You can say, was sin present before the law? Did everybody die? And the answer is yes. This verse holds up. Wherever sin is, death is there also. And Paul ends this section by saying something profound. He says, Adam was a type of the one who is to come. And that's the point of our whole redemption here that we'll see. Adam stands as a representative head over all humanity. He sinned, and his sin was imputed to us. Imputed is a theological term that means it was transferred. It was laid on us. His sin was transferred to the entire human race. When we describe this imputation of sin or the transfer of Adam's sin to us, 
Wayne Grudem, the theologian and author, explains it like this. He said, God regards the human race organizationally as an organic whole. That's just how he set it up. And Adam is the head of that organic whole of the human race. He is our head. And if you're like me, that kind of rubs the wrong way, doesn't it? I have sin on me because of what somebody else did? That doesn't seem right. Perhaps you want to push back against the idea of somebody else's sin, somebody else's wrongdoing being laid on you. Fortunately, it doesn't end there. If you're objecting to that on the grounds that it doesn't seem right, maybe it seems wrong to you, you have to realize that as soon as you discredit that, you also discredit salvation. Just as God sees everybody as an organic whole under Adam, he also sees this new race of Christians as an organic whole under Jesus as our head. And that's a beautiful thing. Because it's only by representation that we're saved. It's only by imputation or the transferring of another's deeds that we can be redeemed. So if it's right for God to punish us on the basis of another man's work, it's right for him to save us because of, some, of somebody else's work. So back to Adam. Considering him and his representation over all people, we find ourselves in a really bad problem. Because of our lineage tied to Adam, we're all separated from God. Because of that lineage to Adam, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. Because we are tied through a lineage to Adam, we're all under the curse of death. We're represented by Adam. His guilt is our guilt. His sin is our sin. His death is our death. So a question for you this morning. Does Adam's one action rule your life? Is he still your representative? If that's so, then sin is still your master. Death still reigns in your life. And Paul's passionate plea throughout the entirety of this book of Romans is that those outside of Christ are under the wrath of God, and that's a really bad place to be. Being under the wrath of God needs that we need a new representative, another man to do something on our behalf. And Paul introduces us to that man in this next section of verses, and that's where the whole tempo of this thing changes. Let's skip down to verse 18. We're going to follow Paul's train of thought and skip over the middle, but we'll come back to it as he introduces us to this other man. Verses 18 through 21. Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Amen. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see quite the opposite here of our first point, that death reigns in Adam. We see in this section that in Jesus, grace reigns. And this is where the whole thing turns around. Let's look at the end of verse 18. It says, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Let's do a little bit of defining of these terms here to break down this powerful verse. The first one is righteousness. 
It means a right standing before God. It means being innocent before God. And Paul defines it here as obedience. The second one is justification, another theological word. What it means is being declared not guilty. It's a forensic term. It's a legal term. It's the gavel in heaven. When it slams down, you are declared not guilty. Not based on what you have done, but based on the imputed righteousness of what Jesus has done for you. So if we were to reword this verse after those definitions, we would say one act of obedience to God has made us guiltless and restored our relationship with God. Jesus came in perfect obedience to God and won freedom for us. Look at verse 20. It identifies how much greater his work of obedience is than the law. When we refer to the law, we're talking about the Mosaic law, a list of do's and don'ts that God brought to the nation of Israel for holy living. The law's job was actually to make us aware of when we're in sin and therefore creates the result of when we compare our life to the law, we realize how guilty we are. That's why verse 20 says, the law came in to increase the trespass. When we see our life compared to God's holy law, we realize how far in sin we actually are. But hallelujah that Christ is greater than our sin. And so where the knowledge and awareness of that guilt increases because of comparison to the law, God's grace increases more the more on our behalf. And this contrast culminates in verse 21. We can see that just as sin reigned in death, in comparison and contrast, grace reigns through the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that's the point. But the point of the matter is that Jesus' righteous act of obedience is freely gifted to those who believe and are in Christ. Paul wants us to see that it's Jesus' work, not our own, not anything that we could do, that brings that act of righteousness to us. And again, the point of representation is valuable here. Just like you could be a red dot in a state of blue, maybe you're conservative and you live in a blue state where the person who's elected doesn't share your values, or maybe vice versa. Maybe you're a blue dot in a red state where the person who you voted for didn't get into office because there was more votes for the opposite. You may be represented by somebody who doesn't share your ideals. Similarly, in Adam, you're represented as a sinner. You're under the curse. Or you're represented in Christ as righteous. Even though you are a sinner, you're seen as faultless before God. This is really good news for us. Because it shows us how much greater God's grace is. We deserve death and hell because of our rebellion. We deserve death because of our constant desire to replace worshiping a holy God with the things of this world. We're so quick to take God from front and center where he should be, compartmentalize him to an hour in here on Sunday, and then, whoop, flailing around up here. And we take all the stuff of this world and put it front and center, whether it be our hobbies. None of these are bad things. Money, you know, enjoyment, things up here when we should be focusing on God. Yet Jesus has come and done perfectly and obediently what was necessary to gift righteousness to us in spite of all that. So my question is this. Are you in Christ today? 
And the answer to that question lies in another question. Whose act is defining you? Is it Adam's act of disobedience? Or is it Christ's act of obedience and life? In you, who reigns? Very powerful question for us to consider this morning. Let's go to the last portion of our text, verses 15 through 17. And read about that idea. In you, who reigns? But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that comes by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In these middle verses... Paul is being very direct about how we shed that lineage with Adam, which is what we're aiming for this morning, and find new identity in Christ. We can hear the contrast in that as we read. In Adam, death reigns. In Christ, grace reigns. We want life, don't we? We want life and grace. We want justification and righteousness. We don't want death and judgment. So how do we get in on that? This is the bottom line here. How do we get in on that grace and life and righteousness? Let's zoom in on verse 15. Paul calls it the free gift. He's pretty excited about it. In these three verses, he uses that phrase five times, free gift. He's driving home what type of gift it is that Jesus offers and truly how free it is to us. And he also goes on to say that it abounds, meaning that it has no limits. If 100 million people line up for that grace this morning, there's room for 100 million more. It's limitless, and it's available to you. And then in verse 16, Paul makes it even more attractive. He plays up the disparity, disparity between Adam and Christ again. Listen along as I paraphrase. Adam was told that he would receive blessing if he obeyed, right? Adam... You'll be blessed. All you have to do is obey. But then we have Christ. If you obey, you're going to receive agony and death. Two different paths of obedience. All Adam had to do was obey, but Adam dropped the ball, and all of humanity is doomed as a result. Jesus, on the other hand, he knew that his obedience would be agony and death, and yet he walked in resolute obedience to his Father, to a cross, for us. One sinful act by Adam equals many dead. One obedient act by Jesus equals many sins gone. We can't stress this enough. Jesus' free gift, his one act of righteousness, covers and forgives the multitude of sins, things that you did in the past, things that you're currently doing now and what you may do in the future, his righteousness covers that. So it seems too good to be true. How do we get in on it? How do we activate this free gift? How does this good news become ours? Seems like it should be tough, right? There should be a lot of work involved, a life dedicated to prayer so we can win this free gift. Maybe a lifetime of, 
I don't know, service or chanting over and over. There's got to be something that we can do because we know as Americans that anything good comes at a price. We've been trained that way. You've heard the economics phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everything good, we're taught, comes at a price. I was jaded by this as a young man. As a young man, let's say boy, 10 years old, 1984. Star Wars was a very big thing still. And I collected all the action figures, as many action figures as a 10-year-old could afford. And I got one of the action figures. They came on a card off the peg. And when you flipped it over, it said on the back, free figure by mail. I could, by mail, get Emperor Palpatine, a limited edition figure. I wish I still had him. I could buy a used car if I traded him him in now. But this is great news to a kid, a free gift, a great figure. I want in on this. So I look at the fine print, free by mail with five proofs of purchase. There's the work required. So what's this 10-year-old do? He mows extra lawns. Couldn't mow the lawns at the house. That doesn't come with a price tag. You just do that. So go out and mow grandparents and relatives' lawns and clean up after their animals and do yard work to slowly accumulate $3 so I can impress upon my parents the need to go to Ben Franklin and buy this figure and bring it home and cut out the proof of purchase. There's one. Duplicate that five times. It took months to get this all taken care of. You stuff the envelope, you address the envelope to Kenner Toys in Cincinnati, and you put it in snail mail. And to a kid, it seems like eternity. And then the wondering starts. Did I work hard enough? Did I actually have five proofs of purchase in there? Did I do everything right, everything that was required of me? Did I address the envelope right? Did it go off into some dumpster at the post office? Did the return address on the inside, that get filled out right? All of these things that I was working for and now in anxiety over. Did I do what I needed to do for this free gift? Well, the figure came and got promptly chewed up by the dog. But to a 10-year-old boy, the anxiety for that free gift was huge. Fortunately, the free gift that Jesus offers, that Paul is talking about here, is truly free. In fact, if we try to apply any work on our part to that free gift, it's a false gospel, and it proves we really don't know the gift. Let's look at verse 17. This is the answer of how we take possession of this perfect free gift. We see that Jesus won salvation for us from sin through his perfect obedient life, through his sacrificial death on the cross, through his resurrection to life on the third day. All you need to do, church, is repent. I am a sinner and I have nothing good to offer and trust in Jesus in faith, trusting that what he did is absolutely all you need to be saved. Repentance and faith, it's free. Nothing to do, nothing to buy, no anxiety over did I do it right, did I say the right thing when I pray, none of that. It's free. So the question we asked earlier this morning bears repeating in knowledge of this. Who represents you? Are you in Adam? Under the curse of sin and death, if Adam is your representative, then you're under God's wrath and his judgment, and you're eternally separated from him, and that means hell. That's the end result. But if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, then you're free. 
You're reconciled to God. You're saved from the wrath that is to come, and grace is the story of your life going forward. That's God's free gift to you in Christ. As we close this morning, we're going to close with a song. That song is titled, No Longer Slaves. And as we sing that, I'd like you to pay careful attention to verse 2. It says, I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. If this is true for you this morning, sing it out in thankfulness that that has been purchased for you. And then the song goes on to say, we've been liberated from our bondage. We've been liberated from that bondage to Adam. That lineage has been severed by Jesus. And we're the sons and the daughters, the song says. Our lineage is now tied to Jesus Christ. Again, if this is true for you, sing it out. But if it's not, if it's not true for you, or if you're still unsure, will you repent and turn to Jesus in faith today? Will you let him represent your life? Will you receive his love, his mercy, his salvation? It's a free gift, church. Receive it with joy and trust him completely. And we don't do this often as a church, but if the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now and you think, yes, that's me, we'll be up here as we sing. Pastor Dan's up here. I'm up here. Chris is up here. If any of you women would like to pray with somebody, if you'd like to talk to us about what it means to know Jesus as your Savior, if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, don't let it pass by. Come on up here and pray with us. We would love the opportunity. And that's it. That's truly it. The gift is free. All you have to do is reach out and take it. It's there for you. Would you pray with me? Wonderful God. Your word is so clear. And yet sometimes our hearts can be clouded by this world. We ask that your spirit would move that your spirit would clear away those clouds of doubt. Father, that we would be receptive to this beautiful call of the gospel in our lives. If we have been saved and we are trusting in you, Father, may this embolden us further in the beauty of our salvation and may it make us bold with people we come into contact with to share you. But Father, if we don't know you, may this be a time that we step out in faith and we reach out and grasp that free gift given by you to us. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be moving even now, that hearts would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.